join us in the dustiest corners of the video store, the back row of the grindhouse, the furthest regions of celluloid. This is Video Store Nightmares. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the futuristic films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about the final film ever released by Wizard Video, 1987's Mutant Hunt, and directed back-to-back. We will also be talking about Robot Holocaust, both films by Mr. Tim Kincaid. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find 1987's Mutant Hunt on YouTube for free. And it is also on Tubi, but it's missing about 20 to 30 minutes of footage. I don't know what you could cut out of this film. Every scene just seems so integral to the viewing experience. But I would imagine if you are really interested in watching this, you don't want to miss any scenes. Just watch it on YouTube. Yeah, or give Charles Band your money and order it from Full Moon. So let's, this is a good place to talk about the, the history of this film a little bit. Both these films were directed by Tim Kincaid, but his real name or the name he more commonly went by is Joe Gage. And he was most famous for directing gay porn films. And as I understand it, he's actually a hugely influential figure in the world of gay porn and that he, his influence has spilled over into gay culture at large through like the fashions and the look of his films and the way he used music and All of that apparently was really influential, but he also made a series of movies for Wizard Video in the mid 80s uh, produced by Charles Band. Some of them were scored by Richard Band, all, you know, all the crew. So he did this one, Robot Holocaust and Breeders. And then he also did Bad Girls Dormitory, which is totally worth watching. But what I, what I was building up to is in the United States, this was released by Wizard Video. I have a Japanese VHS, and it was released by Empire, which was Charles Band's company after Full Moon or after uh, Wizard Video and before Full Moon. So I don't know. I, I just found that interesting. I'm not sure why. But did you have any knowledge of Tim Kincaid before this? No. And I also would not have guessed that this was... Wizard Video's final film. Really, this is where the dream ended. I mean, this is how they went out, yeah. But I actually, th- I think the box art is super cool. Oh, yes. It's very easy to find uh, all the posters and box art for this film. It's everywhere. Because this is, this along with Robot Holocaust are like some iconic bad films that have a storied history of being lampooned on the internet and by MST3K. Well, the I can't read you the back of the Mutant Hunt box because it's in Japanese, but it's got the robot arm reaching really long across the poster, which we actually get to see happen in the movie, and we're going to get to that. Uh, the robot Holocaust art is really awesome as well. 
would you wager to say that the art and promotion of these movies is better than the movies? Um, that is an understatement. There. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be too harsh. They're really trying, Leland. Yes, there is definitely effort put into both of these films. And looking at like the costumes and shit in retrospect for this film, I, I totally see how this man could have had an influence on how like the gay community would like perceive itself in like the public sphere there's a lot of black a lot of leather a lot of clubs like lighting stuff all over the place i totally see it and a lot of phallic imagery a lot of phallic imagery um there's actually no homosexuality like overtly present in either of these films though no but the way I've heard it described is many of the male actors fit one or another like gay archetype, right? Like you've got hunks and twinks and um, jock types. And it, it just, they seem to be fitting into types. And there are many men, you know, without shirts. And I'm not saying any of this is bad. I guess what I'm saying is that whatever you think of Tim Kincaid's filmmaking abilities, and they're probably not, stellar at least not at this point um maybe he improved later on uh but he definitely has a visual style he has a a mood and a a vision that he's trying to achieve and i kind of respect that i I don't necessarily think that those are strictly gay archetypes those just seem like you know male archetypes no but how many suppose like in that context you're sexualizing them but I don't necessarily think that's what's going on here in this film. I just, I just find it interesting. And I, I mean, kind of refreshing, honestly, that the, the majority of the people who appear nude or, or topless at least, and, you know, sweaty and in the spotlight in these movies are men. And that's just unusual for movies from this period. You don't see it a lot. So let's talk about this trilogy as a whole before we get into like the in the individual films in any capacity, right? So okay. uh, Mutant Hunt, are we we're assuming all three of these are linked chronologically, right? I don't remember Breeders well enough. It and it it to as far as I remember, it has a very flimsy plot anyway. Um, but I do know that Mutant Hunt and Robot Holocaust were shot back to back. And I think we're supposed to think that they're part of the same chronology. So I haven't seen Breeders. Is that also about robots like what breeding with people? How- no, it's it's aliens. Aliens. So we have aliens involved in this now. In the breeders one, at least. Aliens, robots, and mutants. Don't leave out the bad girls dormitory. I, is that part of the, the continuity as well? <laughs> no, no. But, um, but no, so my understanding of the, the world of these movies is that at some point, we cre- humans created robots and extended the 80s indefinitely. And... At some point, the robots, you know, overtook us and there was a nuclear holocaust. And then we ended up with the world of robot holocaust. Right. So where where does Breeders fit into this? Is that the first film? That's the first film he made. I don't know. I don't remember it well enough. Oh, my God. We're supposed to know. We're supposed to at least sound like we know what we're talking about here. 
in the, I don't know how much of an expert you can really be with these stories. I can only search. I can only right. guess. At the very least, you can stretch. <laughs> you can stretch the imagination just enough to suppose that Mutant Hunt is the prequel to Robot Holocaust. I think that's true. And we should also mention that these names, the names of these films should probably be swapped. Although there are robots, there are more robots in Mutant Hunt and mutants take a more integral role as an antagonist in Robot Holocaust. I don't know how this, this ended up to be, but the name should probably be switched. So try to stay with us if you haven't seen either of them. So one thing I do want to talk about before we get into stories is the music. The Just like with lots of Wizard Video and Charles Band productions, there's a lot of borrowing and stealing of music. So Mutant Hunt has the same film score as the earlier Wizard Video film, Dream Maniac. I really, really like the musical score for, for these movies. So did he, did the director just straight lift it? I imagine that Charles Band already had the rights to it and just said, like, here, you're, you're using this. Um, the music was composed by, uh, by Don Great, who I'm not otherwise familiar with. But, yeah, I really, I really like He scored a lot of stuff. Hulk, the second X-Men movie, The Game with Michael Douglas, Cruel Intentions. What so, modest origins. Yeah. To come to start here with Mutant Hunt and what Dream Maniac and then progress to like the silver screen. Well, apparently he was totally uncredited on Mutant Hunt. I assume that's because his music had already been used in Dream Maniac. Hmm. I would imagine he probably would have gotten paid. I hope so. It would depend on his contract. Yeah. Apparently, his music was reused uncredited in Terror on Alcatraz and Fright Night Part 2. Ooh, Terror on Alcatraz is also on YouTube, but the quality is so bad, you can't watch it. And then the music in, in Robot Holocaust was also in another movie. Do you remember? It was in a laser blast. That's it. Ah, yeah. So um, the music in Robot Holocaust was also used in Laser Blast, which was actually a meta video release, which was Charles Band's very first company um, was Meta, which was eventually sold as media. And that's what early classics like Not Living Dead and Halloween came out on. Like, I think everyone knows media entertainment. Um, but Oh, God, I've seen this film. Looking oh. at oh, <laughs> look, looking at the fucking trailer, I have seen this. Laser Blast? Yes, it is awful. It's fun. I like it. I'm look, I mean, the, the stop motion aliens are fun, but there's nothing else like worth writing about in this movie. But it's funny because if you've seen Laser Blast and Robot Holocaust, neither of them are really like serious films, but the score is actually really gorgeous and really serious and somber. I don't think they match at all, but I, I, I've always felt it gives especially Laser Blast a really almost eerie, disturbing quality. I don't know how to, how else to explain it. 
you don't think robot holocaust was supposed to be serious mm, maybe serious with a generous helping of comic relief i think they were legitimately trying to make like a like a popcorn like a good popcorn flick i think they were trying to make like star wars and it, it, there's a drawer an android in the movie who's like the comic relief and he's not funny but he is supposed to be the comic relief and um would you describe him as an android what would you describe him as oh man just like a sentient humanoid robot i don't know you know android implies that like it's a robot made in like the image of a person right and this guy's face is nothing remotely human his body is not human there's he, no this, there's no attempt to make this dude human-esque outside of his body shape i mean he kind of looks like if you took r2d2 and kind of or not rtd2 if you took c3po and kind of like melted him a little bit and like stretched him out looks like a deformed c3po yeah, like you left uh, you left your c3po out on the window sill for too long in the sun yeah it's i kept telling leland because we watched this together and i was like it's uncomfortable to look at it's a really horrifying visage and it's not supposed to be sort of hits like an uncanny valley let's go ahead and play the the mutant hunt trailer and then we're going to talk about primarily mutant hunt but we're we're going to throw robot holocaust in a little bit too these are cyborgs. They're not programmed to attack. They're not programmed to violate. They're not programmed to kill. But these cyborgs are mutants. And they're out of control. Who'd want to get robots high? I don't know, but apparently the drug decays and mutates psychosexual response programs. What's that in English? They kill for pleasure. Drug-crazed machines, ten times stronger than any man. This is a job for professionals. Who are you calling? Matt Riker. A mercenary? And these bounty hunters are seasoned veterans of mutant warfare. <laughs> To the mutants, it's open season on humans. To Matt Riker, it's open season on mutants. Mutant hunt. You don't find them, they find you. This is like, what if Blade Runner was written by like an eight-year-old? action figures <laughs> it is very juvenile oh how so we said that we ha- we said that tim kincaid had a visual look and i think it's more prominent in this movie than in robot holocaust how would you describe the look of this movie okay first we have to fe- what order were these movies shot in robot holocaust was shot first okay so robot holocaust was shot first I, I think we need to, to talk about how the chronology that we've established like flips the films. This director was a visionary by hopping on, you know, the prequel trend train like 20 years before it actually came into the mainstream. This man made Mutant Hunt and then he went back and made 
Wait. Oh my god, I mixed it up. Because the names, the names, they aren't supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be the other way around. It's a confusing world, the world of Tim Kincaid. Uh, okay, so this man made Robot Holocaust first, and then he went and made the prequel. The, the world that led, <laughs> that ultimately led to ruin in, in Mutant. Oh my god, I did it, almost did it again. In Robot Holocaust. The... Anyway, the look. Yeah. So the look, this, I don't know when this started, but the first movie I really think about associating like this look with sci-fi, the black leather, the sunglasses, the, you know, dark, urban, gritty environment is the Matrix. And I know that's not the first one. So like, I know the creators of the Matrix have borrowed in quotes or been inspired by a lot of prior sci-fi ips so like anime and lesser known movies maybe this was one of those like artistic sources where they like grabbed all that sunglasses black leather you know random belts all that shit i mean i always thought those visuals came primarily from blade runner yeah and then blade runner as well because Blade Runner was 82 and Mutant Hunt was 87. So there definitely would have been like the possibility of influence there. Yeah. But this look is not like specific to like this film, right? It's It's been in other things, but it, it's, it's, it is very prominent. Yeah, it it's lots of like neon lights, but with black leather and like subdued clothing clothing colors but very extravagant clothing like lots of really huge triangular shoulder pads and i can see how it may have been influenced by or influenced like fetishistic outfits right and it i know this is because of the low budget but it's obvious most of the sets are like warehouses or empty rooms that they've just kind of put some futuristic looking shit around in. But I really like the end result for some reason. Like I really like the look and feel of this movie. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying I, I enjoy the aesthetic for whatever reason. And, And just to, just to mention this aesthetic does not exist in robot holocaust because it's taking place uh in a post-apocalyptic future after a uh, radioactive catastrophe wipes out most of humanity everybody just looks like a bunch of larpers in a factory like a rundown factory oh my god they so look like larpers the robot holocaust if you haven't seen it it, it actually reminds me of a really low-budget Canadian shot-on-video movie called Survival Earth. Uh, some people, I'm sure, are familiar with this, um, but it's a pretty obscure one. Anyway, it's supposed to be in a post-apocalyptic future with just, like, nomads running around. But they're clearly just running around in the woods, like, a few feet from civilization. And that's how this movie is. We see people wandering through what the narrator tells us is the wasteland. And you can see the Twin Towers in the distance because it's right outside New York City on a manicured bike trail. Yeah, they cross over a fucking bike trail in, in the middle of like mutant territory. But I think that's kind of charming. Like, I, I kind of like it. 
it's almost like I'm being told a story by the, the neighborhood community theater group, right? Like, you know, they're not going to have real props, you know, they're not going to have a real location, but they're just getting together and telling you a story. And then like the finale is filmed with a bunch of Halloween decorations in the boiler room of a textiles factory that is owned by one of the workers in the troupe. But even Robot Holocaust, like you're right that the the look is different, but it's still clearly Tim Kincaid. Like I think he has a visual style that I can recognize. And I think that's cool, especially if you're making movies with, you know, really no budget, I would guess. I, I couldn't find the budgets on these movies, but they can't it can't be very much. I think there's a I don't know if it's really as distinctive in in Robot Holocaust outside of um What's her name? Angelica Jaeger's costumes, which are very flamboyant. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. The That's where I see it the most is in her and in the settings of, I guess, their lair, the lair of the dark one. So let's go through the stories of these these movies real quick. All right, let's start with Mutant Hunt. So there is a, a genetic scientist named Z who is illegally altering human cyborgs so that they turn into crazed mutants. Wait, wait, wait. We need to get something out of the way now. Yeah. So both these films have a huge problem with definitions, right? Like, you were calling them cyborgs, all right? We need to make a differentiation between, like, a robot, a cyborg, and an android, right? But these movies don't. Just to be clear, clear definitions for these things. Cyborgs, by definition, are supposed to be part like organic, right? That they probably were established as something organic originally and then were cybernetically modified, hence cyborg. But they're not really. These are complete machines, androids, if you will, that were made in a factory in the human image. Right. I know the preview that we just, the, the trailer we just played talked about them being cyborgs. And, and this, this bothers me. It's a pet peeve. They're not cyborgs. The, in the world of the movie, they use these terms interchangeably. So I think that's like, it's not, it's not, uh, I don't know. Maybe they just don't know better. <laughs> But shouldn't they? They're establishing like a a, a very fertile sci-fi universe trilogy here. They should be more consistent. It's their responsibility. Speaking of the androids, what? So it's it's obvious. It's obviously just actors playing androids, right? And in Mutant Hunt, they're just moving robotically. They're not wearing you know, masks or anything. Oh, what did you think their per, of their performances? Did you believe them as androids? About as believable as anything else in this film, right? I, I mean, I, you know within the first 30 seconds that you're in for some, like, budget sci-fi. You're in for a budget sci-fi experience, right? There's, like, no, the, the, the sets even look like they're porn sets. You have, like, bare minimum props with wooden actors in repeat film sets, right? Like the entirety of Mutant Hunt is filled, it is probably filmed in about three different rooms 
the same alleyway and there's an external shot of what looks like to be a hotel. It, it, that's, and that's what I'm describing as charming. Z's outfit is also very striking. Uh, I mean, all the fashion is, I think, but he wears like a latex outfit. It's got really wide shoulders. He, you know, he looks like Klaus Nomi. I don't know who that'd be. Google him, Klaus Nomi. He's most famous for singing a song called Total Eclipse of the Sun. Okay, yes, the, I, I see, I immediately see. Wait, the resemblance? Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that, that is kind of like a trademark in, in Mutant Hunt. Everybody has very puffy, non-functional leather get-ups. <laughs> yeah, Z's rival is named Domina. And she, I can't, the, the, the androids are driven by this chemical called euphoron, but it's also used as a drug. And I think Domina is both addicted to euphoron and she wants to use euphoron because she's creating her own mutant android. But she also, she has a similar outfit and uh, she kind of looks like Cher. But, you know, also in a Klaus Nomi outfit. Like evil meth addict share. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I see it. Um, he- here's the thing. Normally, what happens is you misinterpret some small part of the plot, and then I have to explain it. Or we both miss it, and then we have to, like, argue what happened, like in Frozen Scream. Um, you're probably going to have to take the wheel on this one. I understand what happened in Robot Holocaust, but there's a lot of bullshit that happens in this film that I am not quite sure why any of it took place at all. I am positive, though, that um, what is her name? Domina? Yeah. (laughs) Domina and this um, this this other bondage guy. Z. Siblings. I don't know. They're enemies for it whatever feels reason. Like they're sib- I'm pretty sure Domina calls him her brother at some point. There are at least like three brother-sister pairs in this film. Did you notice that? Yeah. Um, I think it's maybe like a visual motif that he likes to like show people in pairs that way. Maybe. But um like two scientists that are siblings. The two villains are siblings. I'm pretty sure there's something going on with the mercenaries. Um, either way, strange that that was consistent. But if you were to ask me why Domina gives a shit about what Z is doing and why Z is bothering to take perfectly normal androids and inject them with hard drugs to, to make them go psycho, I couldn't tell you. I could not tell you. But I don't think the Euphoron was necessary for the robots to function. It's just for some reason, Z wanted to turn them into fucking homicidal uh, killers. And he figured out that juicing them up was the, the best way to do it or yeah. a way to do it. So here's, so here's uh, the, what's happening as far as I understand. And it took me a few viewings to get this. So <laughs> this movie I, is so deep. <laughs> I don't, I don't think you're, I, I don't think you're in, you know, I don't think you're the deficiency here. Um, but anyway, so, Z, euphoron is like a, um, it's some sort of sexual, but also euphoric drug. And if you introduce, and, and there has been a prohibition on using 
androids as weapons because they didn't want what happens in robot Holocaust to happen. And so you weren't allowed, they weren't allowed to be violent or anything, but Z wants to turn them into weapons in order to, I can't remember if he wants to gain power or sell them or whatever, but he uses Euphoron to do that, to mutate them such that they're violent. Domina wants to get that contract before him. She wants to create a mutant weapon android before Z does, but she's also addicted to the Euphoron. So she needs a supply of it just to feed her habit. I think that, I think that's what's going on. All right. I think, I think I'm caught up to speed now. And Domina has an android that like is her partner or her assistant. And at one point she tells him that everything Z's accomplished, he stole from me, including you. And so apparently there's some bad blood in the background where like he took credit for her inventions or something. It really feels like the only two employees of this company are these two. That that is something that I think that this is a thing that exists in, in both mutant hunt and robot Holocaust. The world's, see are the exact opposite of what you would expect from say like epic high fantasy right like lord of the rings the world is very huge there's multiple like races and civilizations with storied histories and myths behind them and you get to see like the mythical characters and how they these societies function this is the exact opposite everything is is reduced down to the size of a peanut and thrown into your into this film Everything is just so small. It it kind in that way it kind of reminds me of Rollerblade because that's another really low budget sci fi film that like really feels like it was filmed on one street. <laughs> it 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 feels similar to me. Um, you know, well, you've I, got. I, I would say that un, unlike these two films, Rollerblade actually looked like it was shot in somewhere that was hit with a nuclear weapon. It accomplished it better than these, yeah. So let's talk about our other major character, who is uh, Riker, Matt Riker. He's a mercenary, (laughs) straight in from central casting, right? He wears his shirts unbuttoned halfway down, as does uh, pretty much every man, by the way, including the doctors. I thought it was really funny. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he's, um, he's a really impressive fighter, and... There's a doctor who was working on the androids for Z who has been kidnapped by Z. And his sister is it has gone to Riker to ask for help. Apparently, her brother, the other scientist, and Riker have a storied history. So he decides to do the job for free. The job to free her brother and kill as many androids or mutant cyborgs as possible. How do you mutate something that's not biological? You introduce Euphoron into its system. Yeah. I don't know, man. Can you imagine injecting heroin into your laptop and it just gets a mind of its own? Oh, well, maybe it's because they have um, genetic material and they are cyborgs. I feel like if that was really the case, that, that would have been a major plot point. Like they they would probably use that as an opportunity to show how evil the company is by like gathering organic material against the you know wishes or uh, or they would just get it involuntarily from people off the street 
God knows this city's dangerous enough. You could just take anybody off. So I just want to note. I, I just want to note that I find it incredibly absurd that you just use the term "major plot point" in association with this film. Oh God, what am I thinking? Riker is played by Rick Giannassi, is how I think his name is pronounced. Uh, he is probably best known for playing Sergeant Kabuki Man and uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, the 1990 trauma film. Uh, what did you think of Rick's performance? Is that even a term that you can use? I'm trying to think of a performance in across any of these films that I really appreciated. And I think the only one would be um, an Angelica Yeager's character in Robot Holocaust, which I don't even think we're going to get to talk about because there's just so much here in Mutant Hunt that we need to get through. Everybody in every single role is so wooden like cardboard cutout wooden. Oh yeah, they're they're painful. And it's it's not just that they're acting, right? Their line delivery. It's a lot of the their body language is stiff and especially when we get to stunt work in both films, the stunt work is so bad, Luke. I I know you saw the same shit I did, but it's so bad. But it makes me appreciate films like GBH a thousand times more. <laughs> There's a scene where a mercenary does a spin kick and what she does is she faces the, the, the android dead on, literally walks, shuffles into a 360 and then extends her foot from out of her body and kicks the <laughs> dude in the, in the groin. <laughs> the, and, <laughs> the, the action is almost like they filmed it in, in slow motion so that the actors could do everything, but then never sped it up <laughs> or, or didn't speed it up enough. These are attack animations that look worse than Mortal Kombat. And, and Riker, he's, he's so wooden because he seems to be reading his lines off cue cards off screen. And so he's always looking off into like nowhere. He, like in the first scene we see him when the sister comes to his apartment to try to get him to come do the job. He, it's incredibly awkward because she keeps asking him questions and he doesn't respond. So she just keeps talking. And then the first thing he says is, did you hear that I'm expensive? <laughs> and then he just gives a bunch of info dump exposition. It's, ah, it's really bad. But it's almost, it's not so bad, it's, it's funny. It's not like, I don't know, it's not mockable to me in that way. It's like, so bad, it's strange and endearing. I don't know if strange is the right word, but it, it is, it does have a, um, a particular charm. I could see how someone would fall for this, <laughs> even though it's not for me. I, I want to talk of another aspect of the fighting for a moment, because bo both movies have this um, attack style where an android holds out his arms and spins around in circles. Oh, my God. Is that in Mutant Hunt 2? I missed yeah, it. It totally oh, is. No. Oh, no. Yeah, there's a scene where Riker is... Um, Riker is fighting the androids and one throws his girlfriend out the window and her head splatters on the sidewalk. 
Do you remember no, it's this? The, it's, it's okay. It wasn't a girlfriend. It was a pleasure robot and an older <laughs> model. So it's okay. <laughs> this was a robot or a, an Android that earlier we had no reason to believe that she was synthetic. She was displaying emotions. <laughs> she had like feelings of annoyance and like pleasure and fear and anger. Like she obviously she was programmed to feel all of these things, but that's still like a a form of sentience that you should be a little bit alarmed about that it's suddenly ended. What, what did you think that parts of the action were trying to be comical? I didn't get that impression. I mean, I really think they were just trying to make like a again, I really think they were just trying to make like popcorn flicks. I mean, there's a there's a part where there's a girl at the club and she's putting you for on in her ear. That's how you take it. You drip it in your ear. And these guys try to get on stage with her and get some of it. And she fights them off by clunking their heads together like Three Stooges style. And I was like, is this supposed to be like clever choreography or is it supposed to be funny? And I can't really tell. There was one character, though, whose look I want to talk about. She has the stupidest haircut I've ever seen. <laughs> this is one of the, this is like, I can't tell if she's a friend or a rival or a coworker of this secret, this female secret agent who they meet in like a strip club. And uh, this woman has like a giant bleached afro on one side of her head and then the other side is shaved. I thought this was a gang member. I couldn't really tell what she was because she kept showing up in scenes, but she doesn't talk or okay. really do anything. So there's a background. As far as I can gather, there is a background gang. Two of the members were the guys you just mentioned who got their heads clunked together. And I'm pretty sure this woman's the ringleader. This woman shows up at like the pre-show to the climax where you have the main character fighting a cyborg android robot mutant and for some reason they get involved probably to like steal euphoron from the robot or or steal it for scrap but they end up fighting both characters it's like a three-way brawl for no reason and again this character you mentioned doesn't get involved she just watches as her underlings get totally mucked all right so i want to talk about a couple of things that i think these films do well one mutant hunt actually has some devices and technologies that are kind of prophetic like Riker basically has an apple watch and it has gps on it i don't think it's Riker. i think it's um his his mustachioed oh yes i called this character mario in my notes oh man yeah i don't know anybody's names either but this guy has an apple watch and of and fucking airpods yep yeah and and so after i'd seen those things um, like the Bluetooth AirPod and or EarPod and the Apple Watch with GPS. I was like, he he tells the girl that he'll be there in 85 seconds to rescue her. And I was like, he also has some sort of transport device or like a, a flying car or something. No, he runs. Yeah, he just hoofs it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he saves her and she says, Oh, how humiliating. I got saved by a man. He says, I hate it when men save me. And then he says, we all need help sometimes, except Riker. 
because Riker's perfect, apparently. So there's not really anything about this mercenary team that stand out from anybody else that you would pay to as like muscle for hire. It just so happens that when they get into hand-to-hand combat with these machines that are supposed to be like 10 times or more stronger than the average person. Yeah, that's what they say. Just forget that they have this human, this superhuman strength when they fight these guys. Their, their biggest weapon, their most important weapon isn't future technology. It's plot armor. These guys are unfucking touchable. Uh, yeah. Although when they do start to get like beat up, I think the special effects are actually really cool. There's there's see, like there's this one android that ends up with like his jaw hanging open and he has to like pull back reach into his neck at some point and pull something out but he tells them that he's no longer dangerous to them and he ends up helping them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So there's a scene early on in the movie where the sister scientist is fleeing from one of uh, Z's homicidal cyborgs. She goes to this guy's apartment where she just happens to know where Riker lives, breaks her way into the apartment while he's like falls deep in his pleasure android and intentionally lures the cyborg in to engage into like a really overdramatic fight scene. And let's just mention this fight scene is really ridiculous. Like Riker's <laughs> room is like threadbare bachelor decorated, except for a entire armory of weapons hanging off the wall. And I'm not talking about like <laughs> shit that you would show off, like a, a decorative katana or something. This guy nope. just straight up has machetes like resting in sheets on his wall. Oh, he's a mercenary. He has a crossbow, but this is the fucking 80s future. Why do you have a crossbow in machetes when you can have like shotguns, laser guns, things that, you know, would actually probably exist in the future? Uh, That's something that that Robot Holocaust does, too. It's like everyone's fighting with knives and swords. So what happens is after this long fight scene, Riker eventually knocks this guy out and he is just laying presumably dead slumped up against this wall for the next two thirds of the film where he then is left for some reason. They never bothered to clean him up and he like reanimates into what I think is probably the the best special effects that we see across either film. Um, Obviously, you can tell there's like a lot of prosthetic going on with the the head of the robot, but I still think it's incredibly well done. I I think the special effects in Mutant Hunter are awesome. All the all the when the cyborgs start like or the androids start having you know pieces of them coming undone and skin coming off and stuff, it looks really good. And they get like uh, limbs severed and there's like wires and shit coming out. Oh, that reminds me. I want to talk about the scene where Domina wants to unleash her Delta 8. So this is her mutant robot. And she starts to unwrap it. It's like wrapped in this wrapping. She unwraps it really lovingly. And her her android, Hydro, is watching. 
and she has a really hard time getting the wrapping off. He's covered in like these green lines and he looks really slimy. He looks cool. But once she gets him unwrapped, she gets naked and then rubs all over him while he growls. I didn't quite understand this scene. I didn't know what her motivation was. I, I don't think technosexuality is really out of the question for anybody in this universe, seeing as, you know, Riker uh, presumably owned a uh, pleasure android. Uh, true, but she describes this as a psychosexual mutant that will, you know, work as a weapon to destroy man. It, I don't know. I, it, it's not like he's a harmless pleasure droid. Like, I feel like there's there's a lot of philosophy going on here that's just never elaborated on. Yeah, when when we finally do see this this android, the Delta-8, he looks kind of like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Well, he's wrapped up like a mummy. Yeah, but I mean after he gets unwrapped. Um, yeah, the dude's kind of like, dude's kind of chonky, has a chonky face. His, his fighting style is to just slap people. And push them. Yeah, this is again the kind of guy that can punch a hole into concrete, but then when he puts his hand on one of the main characters, they just kind of fall over and get back up. All right. There, there's a scene where the one of the characters kick kicks um, Hydro, the other android, like between his legs, and we hear a clang sound like metal balls. It's so dumb. It's so bad. Did you notice that? No, I didn't, but it, it doesn't surprise me. So let's talk about the story in Robot Holocaust, because I think I think it, it comes next, right? So Robot Holocaust, I think, takes place after all this. And there has been a nuclear holocaust, and now there is a being called the Dark One who is in charge of the atmosphere. He's poisoning the atmosphere so that only if he gives people unpoisoned oxygen or air can they survive. And so everyone's dependent on him and they have to work for him as air slaves. We have to say that robots initiated the, the, the nuclear catastrophe that eradicated most of the human race. Right. Right. So there was a, an, up, an upheaval, a revolution of sorts. They threw off their chains slaughtered most of the human race and we're kind of led to believe that they are now running the shots but as luke just mentioned there is a weird third party that identifies as the dark one that ends up neither being human nor cybernetic in any way well we never see it whatever it is we just hear it oh no we see it we're just very um very not sure what it is. I don't remember seeing it. When do we see it? It's the green goop. Oh, no, I thought that was just the pod that it created to put the guy in. No, I think that was it. That's the dark one. Uh, I don't know. We're led to believe that this is some sort of robot because these air slaves, their entire life's goal, their job is to funnel silicone into this fucking machine to power it. But in reality, I think they're actually feeding it because it's organic. So I wanted to ask what you thought of the, the look of the robots in this film 
as compared to the ones in Mutant Hunt? It is a night and day difference between having a bunch of like uniformly manicured men in sunglasses compared to God, what looks like uh, Star Wars droids knockoffs. What do you think of the the kind of reddish one with the weird whiskers hanging off its lip? So we basically see three robots during the entirety of Robot Holocaust. One is this is the C-3PO knockoff. Other This other one, which I guess there's technically two of them, are like foot soldiers that belong to the Dark One. And they just look like armored fucking dudes from the future. No human aspects whatsoever outside of, you know, the human body shape. And then finally, we get this whisker-looking robot guy, which looks more like a like a demon than a robot to me. Like, I think he's, he's actually, like, the coolest fucking part of the film, like, as far as, like, special effects are concerned. Because this... I don't know what happened with the budget between these two films, but it's very clear that Robot Holocaust has way less to work with here. With like Halloween props in the background and giant monsters being like shown as just like a a, a fucking furry tentacle coming out <laughs> some pipes and then hand puppets at one point for some worms. I you think got this dude, you got this dude and he looks fucking sick. I think they just tried to do too much in Robot Holocaust. I think they probably had the same amount of money. They just tried to stretch it way further. Uh, maybe but even though you can tell that there's like a lot of similarities between like the scenes and such like the shooting locations in mutant hunt it feels like they did more with them than this film where uh <laughs> it really just looks like they're walking through like again up a, a part of central park <laughs> they just happen to have no bystanders at the time yeah, it, it's it's really pitiful. But it, it, the most pitiful part is that at some point, our heroes enter this series of tests before they can access the Dark One. I don't know if I'd call them tests. I think they're more like, um, it's more like video game levels. Like, <laughs> they're constantly just coming across obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. This is like the worst D&D campaign that, that you've, you've ever played at, like, your friend's house. That is a really they're, good comparison. They're just ad-libbing it the entire time. Yeah, so it it's... There's all these places, like, at one point, to be interrogated, the lead scientist has to be taken to the room of secrets questions the room of questions the room of questions i think at some point they get to the room of secrets as well i'm not sure but the first the first step for the uh rebels is the vault of beasts oh, oh no there's way more things before all that before the vault of beasts yeah dude they they have to go through the the mutant landscape they have to go through the she zone I mean, we haven't even introduced the main character here, which I, I think we we really need to talk about. All right. He's sort of like, he's like a very generic hero that's built up to be something or someone fantastically, uh, you know, like super powerful and like intelligent. I, I think the characters in this movie are even less developed than the ones in Mutant Hunt, which is really saying something. That really is saying something. This man 
is a nomad, a human that has managed through biological excellence to be immune to the poisonous atmosphere that was created by the robot holocaust. And so he has the freedom to travel between what slave camps, towns, they both like kind of hint that there's more out there to civilization, yet there isn't. Well, we're given kind of like both. Um, they say there's a wasteland, but it just looks like a bike trail that leads from one set to the other one. This movie was clearly shot like right outside Manhattan because you can see the city skyline and all of the buildings are completely intact and, and cleaned and in complete repair because it's a fucking city that exists, right? Like they do a really bad job of trying to like portray this shit as like a, you know, after catastrophe world. Well, at one point they default to a matte painting. And then, yeah, they default to a matte painting that looks like it was done in a, a, I don't know, like a freshman art class. It's it's bad. We had to pause the screen and laugh at it. Uh, That's the same scene where for no reason whatsoever, you have humans crucified outside the factory, except they are upside down. They were crucified upside down for no reason. And one of them is our hero's dad, which he finds out by pulling the wedding ring off of the tiny skeletal finger. This plot point is never brought up again. Or, have, nor before. Nor, no, it was kind of mentioned before. So our main character walks into this slave camp while there is a contest going on, a fighting contest that the Dark One demands. That This makes no that, sense. They set up the two strongest warriors every month against each other in a death match. And then the winner is taken to the Dark One for a reward, but they never come back. So you know shitty things are happening. After he witnesses this event, um, he's like, hey, um, I come from the Wasteland and I'm kind of just here to save y'all. So uh, let's get on it. And they assemble a band of various heroes and a shitty robot and go off into the New York Central Park on their quest to a rundown factory to stop the Dark One. Did, did you ever understand what the point of the gladiatorial matches was? So they, there is a, a village elder-esque character who explains that likely the reason is to diminish the gene pool from potential leaders that could create an uprising. So they take the strongest person, the cream of the crop, and then probably take him to the dark one to get avocadoized, which yeah. is uh, what we what is later revealed as the the dark one shtick. He uh, envelops people in a avocado cocoon. And, so uh, I'm not convinced. Shit. I'm not convinced we actually see the dark one. So we, there is one scene where a character is being restrained and he is supposedly looking at the dark one. And this is an Ingmar Bergman type shot where we linger on his face in close up for like 30 seconds while he is supposed to be reacting to the horrors that he sees before him, which might work if you had an actor who could vary their facial expressions, but this one can't. So it ends up being like a meaningless scene. And then later we see the same character being devoured or they call it joined with the dark one. And yeah, he's, he's in this avocado fuzzy green thing, 
but I didn't think that was the dark one. I thought the dark one created that as a way of devouring him. I thought maybe all those green tendrils led back to the dark one, but I don't, I didn't think we actually saw him. So yeah, spoiler. I think the big surprise here is that the dark one is either some sort of extraterrestrial force or an actual mutant that probably should have existed in mutant hunt that is pulling the strings behind this whole, this self-preservation like slave racket. I, all right, two things. One, you mentioned the slaves. I thought it was really funny that they're all like little skinny guys. Like they don't look remotely like the slaves you would have doing physical labor. But what I really wanted to say is I know it looks really dumb, but the avocado cocoon thing, I actually find kind of disturbing to look well, at. Did you want all of these slaves to, to come from like the, uh, the Christian Bale school of like acting where they all purposely like malnourished themselves while doing hard labor for like two months before filming? I think that you would either be like super buff, like the mute guy. Or you would be like emaciated, like Christian Bale and the Machinist. But I don't think you'd be like, you know, a, a handsome twink with no body hair and a swimmer's build. <laughs> like, I don't think you'd look like that. These do these these are not the uh, these are not the evil villain overlords with the foresight and good decision making to make sure that their slaves are well maintained and cared for this is probably the first movie in a long time that i can think of that has just been oozing with absolute incompetence on part of the villains like they don't do anything fucking right no the dark one is totally relying on his assistant valerium valeria valeria who it, it, she is not the person you want to rely on. At one point, she's like, this isn't fair. And he says, life isn't always fair, especially when you're not really alive. And that's when we find out that she's an android, although I think we suspected it before. But how would you describe uh, Valeria's behavior, her mannerisms? In all of these films, every single actor, actress... Their performance is very unforgettable, very awkward, very wooden. Their line delivery is abysmal, to put it at best. But this character somehow manages to shine above all of that. It, it is almost like the self-actualized version, the best possible form that this kind of acting can take. Her her body language is so weird because she is constantly <laughs> looking around in random directions while reciting her lines in an accent that online someone claimed to be French, but she is a German national. But I've never heard a German accent like that before. It sounds like she has a lisp of sorts. But do you think that this is her real voice? I hope she doesn't act like this in real life. 
You know how, you know, Republicans always got on Obama for reading from the teleprompter. That's basically she's like looking from one side to the other, to the other, to the other. And when she looks, she like moves her shoulders up and down like she's having a seizure. It's very weird. Do you want to talk about all the different parts of the, the vault of beasts and all of that? We can run through it really quick, but I think we really should mention the very first challenge that they have to come up against, which is the she zone. I keep forgetting about the She-Zone. Our merry band of heroes walking through the woods of Central Park come across a sign of uh, what looks like a restroom man, like the male restroom man, uh, with a circle and a line through it, like a cancel symbol. Yeah, like no men. And as soon as they notice it, a bunch of like fucking Amazon warriors come out and they're dressed (laughs) in like fucking animal hides and stone age weaponry and fucking face paint yeah and they're basically a bunch of men haters <laughs> that just own this strip of territory and their entire stick is that they abduct men use them for reproduction purposes for the women who are ready to bear children and then murder everybody else, rob and murder everybody else. But the big takeaway here is that all of these, all of these women are massive. Dude, what's the word for chauvinist for, for women? Is it just called ma- male chauvinist? No, that's not right. Maybe, maybe misinterest. There's gotta be one hatred of men. What is the word for hatred of men? Misinterest. That's what I said. Is that what you said? Misinterest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the takeaway here is that we are in- a characters introduced to the party that's a major misinterest, and it, every, every like two minutes, there's some sort of joke involving um, her hating on men, which is hilarious because at their first encounter, the not even the main character, just some random dude from the party steps up and challenges her for uh, the right to travel through her territory and just instantly beats her. Like, it's not even close. No. And and, and that uh, she says that that means that she has to be his slave, but that she will kill him eventually. Yeah. Use me for what you want and get rid of me because otherwise I'll kill you, I think is... um is what she says so seeing as this was probably written and directed by a gay man do you think he was trying to say anything here about the female experience no i think he was just trying to be funny yeah like there's a there's a scene where one of the girls in the party says that um she's like i just want to rescue my father and the the amazon woman says another man have you no loyalty or pride? I think it's just supposed to be funny. Like, I think he wants to poke fun at, I guess, like second wave feminism and um, female separatists. This is also where the party picks up another uh, integral side character, um, a mute barbarian warrior. Mute because his tongue was cut out after he protested against the forced breeding program of the Amazons. 
This man is the eye candy of the film. Uh, he basically runs around in a banana hammock and some furred boots. He also seems like the most competent in the party, to be honest. Yeah, it's really a shame that they killed him off uh, near the end. Although, I will say, there's a scene where he is supposed to be very carefully getting the party past a booby trap that involved weaving your hand among lines of fishing twine. And he totally failed at that shit. He bounced all into those. But the movie wants us to pretend that he didn't. All right, so now let's turbo fire through the rest of these obstacles. Um, After this, they go through a tunnel that's full of uh, worms uh, and... worms that are actually just hand puppets that are grabbing at our heroes after that they are ambushed by mutant raiders most of which are dismembered by the fucking barbarian swords that these guys have brought with them we're then brought to the den of beasts where the robot part member of the party knows what's coming and then has to and decides to withhold information what was this plot point I don't this. I, I don't really know. He's like, it, the main character is like, well, what, what, what are you telling us? And he's like, oh, well, you know, there's a bunch of traps and, you know, people are probably going to die up ahead and shit. And he starts like outlining the, the horrors that await them. As I think he's trying. I think factory. I think Tim Kincaid's trying to do the C-3PO thing again. I guess. Yeah. We're, this is where we're treated to that awful matte painting, which uh, you can probably look up online if if you haven't seen this film it really is something to see and it really makes you appreciate every other matte painting background you've ever seen in your life like if you <laughs> like if you're on if you've watched star trek you know every other episode has one of these for like the alien planet or whatever you'll appreciate those so much more after seeing this one it is awful Anyway, the end of the Den of Beasts, there's like a giant spider, but really it's just like a long furry claw. It looks like a branch with fa- with uh, a branch with moss hanging off of it. There's a part where there's uh, more worms, but this time they're like actually surveillance drones and they're tunneling through a guy and they start to reanimate him. And then after that, there's the fucking bomb section that's booby trapped. And then there's like robot soldiers that come out to at, at while the heroes are trying to unlock a gate, but then they just suddenly disappear for no reason. Then they unlock the gate, then they go through the gate, and then they get into a big fight scene with all the in-game characters and or in the game uh, antagonists, and then they're at the end. But each one of these scenes is like introduced as something as some sort of like major obstacle by both the the dark one and his uh and his assistant um valoria valer valor yeah i I just keep wanting to call her angelica (laughs) valeria i think that's it valeria valeria right and it's it's so video gamey where you just have like this girl saying but master <laughs> how will they get past the giant beast they cannot and then repeat that like five times for every <laughs> single obstacle they encounter it's so ridiculous actually it's less video gamey it's more of like a really bad anime except they dispatch each one really simply like in a matter of minutes not a challenge like one guy dies on the way to the final boss 
<laughs> this is the all-powerful dark one who has enslaved all of humanity with his brilliant air hostage scheme but he and his assistant are totally blindsided by the overwhelming skill of our party while all of this is going on the air slaves has some guy among them we're just gonna call him craig because i don't think he's named some some guy named craig comes up and is like hey if these heroes are fighting the dark lord at his house then we could probably like fuck shit up here without him interrupting us and they're like wow craig that's actually some, some pretty solid logic there completely not thinking about the fact that the dark one controls the fucking oxygen machine that keeps them alive <laughs> so they decide to stop feeding him silicone and instead start putting in sand just making it look like they're actually <laughs> feeding the dark lord and somehow nobody realizes the scheme until somebody looks at a fuel meter and it's like oh we don't have a lot of power here you would think the dark lord would, would kind of catch on you would think a, an, an artificial intelligence would uh would have some sort of fail safe or a trigger mechanism or something programmed to be like okay listen this your lifeblood the only the entire reason you're alive it's at like 15 percent. you gotta do something about it how dare i apply logic to this fucking script and for people listening like there's so much we're leaving out. I gave up taking notes during this movie because <laughs> there's just so many things that defy any kind of logic, defy any kind of narrative cohesion. It's it's just bonkers, bizarre, but at the same time, there's like a sort of cohesion to it. Like he's kind of building a world here that has a certain visual style. I don't know. Let's talk about the way all of this wraps up at the end of mutant hunt. We, there's like a shootout where, you know, everyone gets shot. All the, all the, um, main antagonists and, you know, Riker shoots the main bad guy Z on the ground and he bursts into flames but then we see what I think is the really strange scene. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? Well, first off, does uh, does the does meth addict share make it out unscathed? Yeah, yeah. She no, absolutely no consequences for her. She sends out her beefcake ultra cyborg, and then we don't see her again. I mean, she's. I don't want to say she's a sympathetic character, but she never struck me as like evil the way Z strikes me as evil. No, but she did kind of unleash a super homicidal robot on the world. True. And the reason she was upset at, at Z to begin with was because he was getting a contract that she wanted a part of. So it's not like she wouldn't have done the same shit he was doing. It's just more like he kind of built off her existing framework and figured it out first. I, I think you're just judging her for being a euphoron addict. I have to realize that it's a disease and it really should just be treated. We need to get rid of the stigma of euphoron addiction. Yeah, put your, put your social prejudice aside. The answer to euphoron addiction is not in the criminal justice system. It's in the social work that is necessary to to make sure that these people can get back on their feet after a successful rehabilitation program 
And that's it for this episode. That's our message. <laughs> this is approved by Luke and Leland. <laughs> no, there's a final scene where we see a like a some little girls in an alley. And there's one of the Delta Seven robots is like sitting there trying to put himself back together because he's all blown apart. And the one of the little girls laughs at him and he smiles. And that's it. It's a very, very weird scene. Well, it's kind of just like the end of um, a lot of sci-fi films where you think the bad guy's dead and then you get the shot of like the alien egg like three corridors down in a hidden ventilation shaft that starts to open, right? I guess, it's yeah. Kind of like that, except it's with a, a melty cyborg man. Yeah, we did not mention this, but usually when these robots are injected with euphoron, they kind of have melty skin for some reason. They just start gooping everywhere, man. Because they're mutants. Yeah, it's fucking ruin your couch. But I think the mutants look really cool. I, I really do. The special effects in this movie are, if you like practical effects and like rubber and stuff, it, it's, I don't want to say it's like wall to wall special effects, but I think the robots are really well done. All right. So knowing what happens in Robot Holocaust, right, we can go ahead and assume that this robot, this ultra psychosexual murder machine managed to survive the combat like prowess of Riker and his gang only to reassemble himself and lead a robot revolution. To or, take back. Yeah. or it's, it's possible that um, it's possible that Domina created a Delta nine. Hmm. I suppose. But I mean, we already got the Delta eight right here, the Superman right here. Uh, you know, I guess really what we have to do is find out from the director himself. We have to find out, like the greater lore, you know how when when people like construct their their epic universe, they'll have like a bunch of notes to refer to. There's probably like a Bible of like mutant robot hunt Holocaust information, like I don't, the, like the '80s future in like a thick like 500 page manifesto of like just pages of dudes wearing sunglasses and shooting up to become fucking felons and whatever we really need to know the truth oh it's just like uh i when guillermo del toro makes movies he sketches every creature in the movie and like writes out all their backstory and i know clive barker did the same thing for like hellraiser and nightbreed and they created these complex worlds oh, we just need the tim kincaid version of that but speaking of the guys with sunglasses, we talked about the Wachowskis in The Matrix. Do you think they lifted the look of like the agents from this movie? The main character of Robot Holocaust is Neo. Make your own conclusions. All right. I think that's a good place to leave it. Let's give final thoughts and rate each movie out of four. Yo, I'm just going to rate both of these at the same time because I think they're really just one of the same flock. We don't really need to tell you the kind of reputation these films have on the internet. You can pop these names into YouTube and pull up MST3K episode for um, Robot Holocaust. These are bad movies that are prime for riffing. Um, if you are going to play a bad movie at a party or if you're the kind of person that likes to watch shitty movies with your with your friends, like this is prime material. Like there's a lot of entertainment value here. It's just like it 
the, the quality is in all the wrong places. I, I think that there's the possibility that if the acting and the and maybe the the script was cleaned up a little bit, that these probably could have been more cult classic-y than they are. But as as of like this viewing, this is my first time seeing both of them. It's kind of like entertaining in the way you watch like a court jester face plant in like the royal court. <laughs> And I'm not sure if it's trying, I'm, I'm not really sure it's trying to be funny necessarily, but I bet that everybody involved in both films had a lot of fun filming it. So, uh, you know, props to that. I think the best thing you can say about either film, but especially Mutant Hunt, is that the music is top notch. There is, there is a like 30 minute soundtrack that you can pull up on YouTube that just has all of the greatness in it. Um, and we did discover shortly before recording this episode that the music was used for other films but um still this this music is fucking fire for like that 80s sci-fi aesthetic there's a scene that we didn't talk about that has no bearing on the plot whatsoever where this guy is just walking down through an alleyway and gets confronted by one of these uh androids and they get into a fucking fist fight in front of some like garbage bags and a brick wall and shit and it's just like some awful choreography going on but while this fight lasts like three minutes there's like a bitchin electric guitar solo going on the whole time and i really focused more on that than what was going on on the screen (laughs) you know what i'm talking about right yeah dude that character was never seen again you know we there's a there's a version of this film online that's only like an hour and 13 minutes i bet that's the kind of stuff that they took out maybe Maybe, but you're looking for the, like the hour and a half version if you want to, you know, endure what we have endured. If you were to like point a gun at my head and, and tell me to choose one of these films to watch again, I would pick Mutant Hunt. But you really can't watch one of these without the other. They're sort of like, oh God, a garbage pair. You have to watch both of them to really get like the gist of this man's like creative t- like vision maybe he didn't want these to be related maybe we're just kind of making this shit up but it really feels like one is a prequel to the other i mean they were filmed back to back so they were filmed back to back but yeah i'm i am so peeved by the irresponsible use of terminology in both of these films referring to like robots cyborgs androids mutants like none of these words have any meaning in this universe because everybody is everything. There's why is this movie called Mutant Hunt? <laughs> There's everyone's a fucking robot. Tim we, Kincaid. Tim Kincaid is a deconstructionist, and we're breaking down language together. Join the linguist revolution, Leland. You're right. I am just not like a Dadaist enough to uh, really appreciate what this man is doing to the world of forever 80s future science fiction exactly either way i'm giving both these films one star simply because (laughs) everything is so is (laughs) why are you laughing at me (laughs) it just feel like it almost hurts like they just seem they seem like naive children that you're telling them they failed on their first test 
I am the kind of guy to over-criticize a child's macaroni picture. I am that guy. I feel like that's what's going on here. Yeah. No, one star. I, I think the music is great. Um, watching these with friends to riff it is probably the ideal setting. But, like, objectively, if you were to, like, sit down and, like, really analyze this shit, there's just so much that didn't land. But I'm going to choose to... I'm going to choose to think of your rating as a single gold star that the teacher put on that student's paper. <laughs> oh, is that how grading works for Zoomers nowadays? We can't yeah. use red ink and numbers anymore. That's too, it's, it's too dehumanizing. In kindergarten, at least you get a gold star. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how it works after that. Hmm. I think I'd reach into my silver star drawer at this point. Ah, the bronze star. How low are we going to go? I really appreciate what these movies are trying to do, I think. All right, let me tackle them a little separately. I don't like Robot Holocaust as much either, although I think in some ways it's a superior film. It, it, it feels like it's trying to be Star Wars to me in some ways. It's trying to be like an adventure where the crew gets together and faces obstacles in a you know fantasy realm, but in this case it's post-apocalyptic new york park and <laughs> like a bike trail uh abandoned warehouse i don't know it, it 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 there's too many attempts at what i think are like comedic relief the droids are or androids whatever they are they're annoying to me um but there's still a lot of fun to be had like i i really appreciate the look of the film the music um the i think the the uh, Valoria or Valora character is, is great, um, incredibly entertaining to watch. I even think that at moments it verges on being disturbing, like with the green cocoon thing. Uh, but it, Leland's right. If you really sit down and think about it, like so much of it is nonsense, and it it's there's no internal consistency, and it's badly acted. It's the sets are bad. It's amateur hour in every way but as i've said in the past they did put a movie together and it is watchable and like i had a lot of fun watching it so i'm gonna give robot holocaust one and a half (laughs) you're also reaching into the silver star drawer Mutant Hunt, I think, is better. I like the music in this one even more. It's this. It was used before in Dream Maniac, which maybe we'll do that one one day too. But I, it really gets me pumped up. Like I, I especially like the tune that goes, da na na na. That one, um, it gets stuck in my head. But the, I, I really like the look of the film, the dark sunglasses, the big shoulder pads. I like this vision of the future where like the eighties never ended. It's it's like if you took Blade Runner and combined it with Rollerblade. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of the look I think they're going for. And I don't think it's good acting, but it is a style of act. Maybe he's doing like a David Mamet thing. He wants the <laughs> actors to remain stoic so the script can shine through. I think that's what's going on. And on... Oh, uh, yeah. I have a soft spot for Mutant Hunt. It's a film that I can like put on in the background all the time and just leave on. Like I said earlier, it feels almost like my friends are getting together and telling me a, a really bad story, um, but it's a lot of fun. 
I'm going to give it. <laughs> um, I'll give it three and a half. <laughs> but three <why>? and a half. Because <laughs> I can. It's my podcast. I've given it three and a half stars. All right. Yeah. Well, Tim Kincaid, visionary genius. I will say that if we, I'm down to watch his other films. I mean, that is more than I can say for anything else that we've rated that low. So the only ones I've seen are Breeders, which was a long time ago. I don't remember it well, but I don't remember liking it as much as these two. And then Bad Girls Dormitory, which I think is really fun if you're in it. It's kind of like the teenage version, teenage in quotation marks, version of a women in prison movie. Um, And it's a lot of fun. But yeah, that's it for this um special double episode of mutant hunt and robot holocaust let's consult the magic eight ball and see what we're doing next week next week we're going to the deepest part of the gutter for 1990s the suckling oh no which is also known as sewer baby is this one you're familiar with i have not seen it but i am familiar with the premise this is a lovely film about an abortion gone wrong and so many parts of this film defy description if you've never seen it please watch the suckling and then check out our episode next week i believe you can find it on youtube at least as of the time of this recording it is on youtube i think it's also on amazon prime but the the vhs will set you back quite a bit i don't actually own this one i'm gonna have to stream it but all right Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything we do. Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. All right. And join us next week to talk about the suckling.